Hey, what's up, everyone, and welcome back to another week here on the Matt Lestalia Show. Um, this week, we're going to be touching on something that is really uh, near and dear to my heart because it is one of the principles that this show and that my philosophy is built upon, and it's touching on resilience. And it's something that we've discussed before, but I feel like it's it's something that I need to rehash and kind of needs to be brought up again from time to time in order to give it its its due um, its due course, if you will. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I I the intent today is is to discuss resilience. It's to discuss when resilience isn't enough, and and is it ever enough? And and what what is it? How can we use it? And where does it fit more so as a puzzle piece into our uh, mental health and our well-being and and our emotional wealth? Um, So when we're thinking about resilience, uh, I think it's uh, analogies are really powerful tools, right? So think about resilience. You think about um, an analogy that's often given is one of the tennis ball. So you have a ball and you throw it against the wall or you know it smacks against the ground. And if you actually slow down time and you and you like you go slow-mo and you look at the tennis ball as it makes impact with you know whatever with the wall, then you'll see that the tennis ball actually changes its form. It changes its form and it flattens as it makes impact with the wall to a certain degree and then it and then it bounces off of the wall it moves away from the wall with energy and retakes its form and i think it's actually a great analogy it's a great way to look at resilience because when we're thinking about being resilient we're thinking about dealing with obstacles dealing with with the the things that come up in life, the issues, the the circumstances that are rough. So us coming into contact with something that is difficult, something that requires effort to overcome and causes a struggle, right? And so that struggle is the wall and our reaction to it is the ball flattening, right? And so the question is like, how do you flatten? How do you morph yourself how do you shift and reposition yourself in conjunction with that obstacle and there's and there's many different um practices and skills and techniques that are involved in this that are that are really really helpful and i think that it's really good it's really great to understand how to deal with these types of uh um mental strife and mental tribulations that come up because that's really what we have to deal with. When you think about us dealing with stuff, it's not, we don't really, like, yeah, we'll have to deal with a pain and it will hurt, but, like, we don't do anything to fix the pain. And it's this weird thing, this weird transitionary um, kind of, uh, um, it's this weird transitionary kind of, property where we are we're transferring our 
our process as it relates to healing ourselves physically to how we address our mental or emotional uh, injuries, if you will. And because we don't have to do anything, right? Like our bodies are doing the healing when we are hurt, right? We, we do things to encourage our body to, to heal, right? Like we want to do things so that things don't get in the way of the healing process. So like if you say you're, um, this evening you're prepping dinner and you're cutting, um, you're cutting an onion and you know, you, your knife is a little bit dull and it slips off the, the skin of the onion and it, and it slides into your finger, right? You don't do anything to heal yourself. Like you don't do, you don't take any positive action to actually heal that wound. Your body, like on a cellular level, on a subconscious level, on an autonomous, non-mental required level is healing itself, right? But that does not happen with us on an emotional level. So now, now we, we are required, um, and this is actually a crazy story. So we, we, we are, it is required of us to, to ensure that our body has the, the most, um, unimpeded path towards the healing process. So how, how do we manage this? So, I mean, when you think about how, what do you do when you get cut? Well, you have to stop the bleeding. How do you stop the bleeding? You have to put pressure on it, right? In order to put pressure on it, you know, you can use your hand and then you want to make sure that it gets cleaned out. You want to make sure none of the, none of the gunk, none of the stuff is in there. You want to make sure it doesn't get infected. Again, you're not healing this wound. You're making sure nothing stops or impedes that healing process like infections, uh, you want to make sure that you're alive. So you don't want to bleed out, not like legally bleed out from a cut on your finger. But you get the point. Um, and so you want to you want to make sure that you wash it out really good, and then you want to make sure you actually get all the soap out, and then you want to make sure that you you apply enough pressure and you you put the bandage over um, in a way that that kind of seals it up. And then you have to make sure to to take it off, you know, occasionally clean it off, let it air out, wrap it up again, and continue this process as your body does the healing. Now you can't really do that. And, and think about the last thing that you really struggled with uh, emotion on an emotional level. Think about um, like a breakup that you might have had, or if you might have just gotten fired, or, or, or maybe um, you know consternation as it as it surrounds COVID nineteen and and you know the families and the struggles. Maybe you even lost a loved one, and that that's awful. And my truest condolences. Maybe you're just struggling trying to find the balance at home. With kids going to school and, and trying to manage a job and, and, and daycares being open or not open and this, that, and the other. <clears throat> so there's there's not – your mind does not resolve your mental issues, your, your concerns, your stresses, your anxiety. Your mind does not heal these things on its own, right? Like it's not – you don't have – neurons in your brain that are that are working together to to create uh pathways to healing inside of your brain that make you feel better right that doesn't happen um what your what they actually do is is they find the most effective way of connecting and so that way 
uh, you, you're preserving energy because the work that your brain does, it's so, uh, it's so intensive. It's so, um, cal caloric demanding in its process that you, your body intrinsically knows that you have to, you have to preserve as much as you can. You have to automate as much as, as much of the processing that you can, which is why you'll see things like, um, if you think about driving, if you have a long drive into work, why you'll get to work sometimes. And, and when you get there, you're like, oh man, I didn't even like, I drove to work, right? Like I was actually there in the car and I drove, like, I don't even really remember the drive. It's cause it's, it's that what we call is like, you're on autopilot, right? And your brain is just kind of like, Hey man, we got this muscle movements. Like we got it down. We know how to drive. We've been doing this a lot. We know the path. Nothing crazy has come up. Like you're still paying attention, but it's in a way where your, your full cognitive, uh, awareness and, and your, your cognition is not fully required in order to accomplish this task anymore you know it's on tap right there but it's not it's not fully engaged the way it is if you remember when you were 16 and you first got behind the the wheel of the car and you're freaking out you know and so it's um it's 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 an interesting story that i actually wanted that i thought about when it came to uh the the wound is that actually goes back to um, a story from who? I th what was the president's name? Um, it wasn't Woodrow Wilson. It was Calvin Coolidge. I want to say it was. I believe it was Calvin Coolidge, and he his son was playing tennis, and while he was playing tennis, he developed a blister, and after they were playing, and you know the blister ended up like kind of busting open and. And was bleeding and and what was this? He was the president in the twenties, I want to say something something like that. Like not that long ago, pretty pretty long time ago. Well, I guess good grief, that's like a hundred years ago now. But still, nineteen twenties, right? This wasn't like the fifteen hundreds. This wasn't the seventeen hundreds. This was nineteen twenty. You know what happened to his son? His foot got infected, and he ended up dying. The president's son, the president of the United States, his son, privy to the most, like to the best healthcare that, well, formal Western healthcare, I would imagine, uh, at the time, uh, the best of our country's ability to provide care for, died from an infection. <laughs> it's madness. So we have to do, we have to assist, we have to ensure that our body has a clear path to victory, right? And so, but it's not the same with our brains. We have, our, with our brains, we have to, we have to do the work, right? Our, we have to do the mental lifting. And the thing is, like I was saying, you know, your, your brain is you've wired your brain in a certain way because that's the way that it works most efficiently for you. So the way that you respond to the things that are happening in the world and the things that are happening around you, you continue to respond in a similar way because you have found a way that your responses end up creating an environment that is acceptable to you. That's not to say that this is the best. Almost assuredly, it's not the best. Um, I'm ask, ask your spouse. 
<laughs> and and I promise that they'll they'll uh, they'll side with me on this one. So, um, what what I'm getting at here is that in order for us to do the work of being resilient, we have to consider that we cannot take the same approach that we take with physical injuries, right? We cannot take the approach of we need to just nurse this along. We need to be um, passive participants to the process of healing, that we need to be clearing the pathway so our brain can emotionally heal itself. Because while time does, you know, it's people say time heals all wounds, time really uh, dulls all wounds with enough removal from the process. But even so, if you haven't dealt with something um, and, and you just shoved it away for a long period of time, if that thing comes up and smacks you in the face again, if it pops up right in front of you, you may not be able to handle that as well as you'd think, as, as well as you think by your dulled recollection of that event, right? So like, if you, if you run into that ex that broke your heart 15 years later, you might end up having a little bit more of a significant reaction than you would have anticipated. You might end up being fine, but there, there is a possibility because, it's just time. You didn't actually do any processing. Those who are handling it well have actually done the work, whether it be they be conscious of that work or not. They've done additional work other than just putting it out of their brain, right? They've developed, they've grown, they've transitioned, they've transformed. <clears throat> and that kind of gets to the next point that I wanted to make. And it's so, so just to recap that first part, in order for us to deal with emotional strife and to deal with mental tribulations, um, which really is what happens with when our interactions with people, right, and, and and our interactions with ourselves, with our expectations, when expectations aren't met or kept um, with ourselves or with others or from others, you know, and um and just the 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 way that we interact when those things go awry, you know. We can't just allow our brain, our bodies to try to heal it. It doesn't work that way. We have to take an active role. Resilience, the idea behind resilience is providing you tools and techniques and, and kind of procedures, if you will, to to get from that that space where you where you're the tennis ball that is you is flattened against the wall. It's the process of getting that flattened portion back to that spherical state, right? That's going to be a word now, spherical. <laughs> uh, and so that's that is the whole point behind resilience. We want to get you back, right? We don't we don't want to we don't want to be the egg. We don't want to be the egg that's thrown against the wall and then you crack and your guts spill out and then you're just a hot mess that's um, ruined forever because no one wants to cook an egg that is all over the floor. Uh, so, um, so the, the point being that you got to do the work and there are ways to do that. That's easier, um, by, by people that have gone through this and people that have tested these things and worked with, with people and developed these strategies. Right. And so, and this, this isn't an episode where I want to get into any of those strategies specifically. This is a little bit more abstract. This is a little bit, um, higher level thinking on this one, just because I, I, when I'm thinking about 
resilience. And I'm thinking about its role in our life. And especially now. Like this is this is unbelievably relevant for, for us for those of us that exist in this day and age, right? When we are we are existing in a world that we've never seen and we've never really been told about as far as um, trying to live in a pandemic. And no one's ever lived in a world like the one that we're in, the one that's so unbelievably connected um, virtually and, and through technology in this way while going through a pandemic where it's where it's hitting all across the world and all of us are being impacted in such a significant way. Um, it's, it, it's a particularly good time to look at our mental toolbox, right? To look at what we have and to figure out what we're going to do. And because a lot of people, I remember I was talking to this business owner and, and this was a while back now. Um, probably had to be in the summertime. And I remember, I was like, hey man, like, how are you guys adjusting to the new normal? Um, as I was in his shop and they had just, we had, it was probably July. And, um, and he was like, oh no, absolutely. I, said, I will not accept that, that kind of speak inside of my facility. There is, we are not accepting this new normal. We're going to get through this and we're going to get back to the way that we were. And that is, that is some kingpin resilience, son. Like, that is get on my level. I am not accepting this. We are going to get back to our normal because I know that we can. I know that we're strong enough. I know that we're, we're, we have the will. We have the capability. And, and, I, and I believe with all of my being, I know that we can get back there. I do not accept this new normal of which you speak. <laughs> and I was like, all right, man, that's cool. Hey, I like it. I like where your head's at. Let's let's get me fitted for some shoes. <laughs> and, and, and we did. I got some great pair of shoes. And um, the the interesting part about it is, while resilience is an amazing idea, and it's a and it's a, an amazing kind of philosophy in and of itself to be resilient, to be able to to bounce back from strife and and from the the crap that life throws at you, you know, getting punched in the face, falling down into the mud with, you know, just covered in, in muck and getting back up and wiping it off your face and saying, bring it, bring it on, buddy. Bring it on. I, I got you all day, seven days a week. I will always get back up. Now that's cool, man. That's cool. The problem <laughs> is then this doesn't account for the fact that there's just another punch waiting for you right when you get back up, right? So you just get punched and you get knocked back down. And then you get back up and you get punched again by that same fist in that same spot. And you get back up and you get punched again right in the face and you get back up. And like, doesn't this sound resilient? Doesn't this sound like, like an amazing cycle that we all want to be a part of? <laughs> no right like that's not that's not desirable um there's something about returning back to our previous state of being of of returning now when you picture the tennis ball it's a really beautiful analogy because a tennis ball is a tennis ball right a tennis ball is not going to be used for anything other than like like a tennis ball or a ball to play with, a ball that you throw to your dog. If, if anything, 
as it progresses through time, its its usefulness or its its purpose gets defined to lower levels of um of its performance. So maybe it starts as a tennis ball that gets hit by uh what's the Roger Federer in Wimbledon, right? Boom! Biggest tennis ball, best tennis ball ever. <laughs> and then um, you know, some some kid takes it home with him, and 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 he's holding on to it, and it's it's this amazing memorabilia, and it sits on a little case over there, and so it's no longer being used. It's as a point of of memorabilia. It's a point of uh, of memory and, and awesomeness. And then he hands it down to his son, and his son is like, "Uh, well, I got a coke addiction, so I'm gonna go sell this for as much money as I can get it for <laughs> whatever." <laughs> the the ball gets the ball gets redistributed to somebody that cares less about it. But now it's an old ball. It doesn't have the same bounce that it used to have, and now it gets used to throw around with a dog outside. And dog chews it up and all that, and then eventually, you know, it's it's not in great shape. And then maybe we cut it open, we throw it on the bottom of, of grandma's uh, uh, little walker, you know. And so, uh, you know, it, it just progressively, this is going to go down. And you can relate this to us, you know. Over time, our bodies are going to break down. Eventually, we're going to die. Um, but I like to view this as this analogy doesn't doesn't work quite well for us because. The tennis ball's peak performance, right, is, is, is getting hit and then making contact with the wall, bending, flattening, and then coming back to its ball shape. Now, I think that we have the ability to actually be better than this. We, we are more than a tennis ball. And obviously, like, the ooh, big revelation. <laughs> so what, what I'm getting at is if we strive to get back to where we were we're never gonna look to see where we're going we're never gonna look ahead at the road that lays before us we're always gonna be looking backwards we're always gonna be searching behind us to see where we were at and constantly trying to strive and work to achieve something that's already happened i was good enough to stand up and get punched in the face and then fall down. Do I want to be good enough to stand back up and get punched back in the face? Yeah, I want to be good enough to get back up, but I want to be good enough to get up with my eyes on the road and to dip and dive and dodge and duck. <laughs> if you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball, right? Um, come on, guys, dodge ball. Um, so... The, the point that I'm getting at here is is resilience can can be very um, historically based. It can be very, very non-forward looking, non-forward leaning. And I think that that's where the that's where the problem falls in with resilience. And it's not necessarily a problem with resilience. It's the problem that I see with with resilience coaches and and this when they 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 take an idea and they just work it a they try to shove a round peg into a square hole, you know, and it just doesn't work right. It doesn't exactly fit, but if you just keep pushing it, like, yeah, well, just be a little bit more resilient, you know, and just be happy. Like, this is how you be happy. You don't be happy. Happiness isn't isn't an end state that you achieve, you know. You can happy. And we talked about this. I talked about uh, that when... Um, 
on when Darren Brown went on uh, Simon Sinek's podcast and they had a conversation about happying, turning turning important nouns into verbs, turning these ideas of, of end states into states of being. You know, there's, there's a very strong difference and very important delineation there. And so I think it's I think it's really critical for us to think about resilience in this in this frame of mind because resilience is a fantastic puzzle piece. As a matter of fact, you it might even be an edge piece. It may be as as important to be a corner piece. But it's not the whole puzzle. It's not even the whole frame. You know, it's definitely not all the corners. It is it it's a pillar. It's a very important pillar to understand how to get yourself back into a strong state after after falling down, after knowing how to get yourself back up and having the grit and the determination to pull yourself back up. That's huge, but it, just, it can't stop there, right? So what I think that I I wanted to to give as a as a kind of an illustration of this is is when you think about your own stories of, of transformation. That's what I want you guys to think about. Your own own stories of transformation, because that's really what what is missing in resilience. Resilience is you get back to where you were, but there's no transformation. There's no growth. And so, if you think, go back and think about the times when when you were hit hardest by life. You know, how did you respond? Are you the same person that you were before that? Are you worse off now? Are you still worse off for that thing, or are you better off? Have you changed? Have you morphed? Have you transformed? So my story, uh, when I joined the military, you know, I, I came in as a as a pretty soft civilian, you know, and I, I was not in great shape and um, not terribly disciplined. I get pretty good work ethic. I'd show up to work. I'd, I'd work my butt off while I was there and, and you know, and I'd go home. But once I got home, then their discipline would kind of go out the window. Like, yeah, what are we going to do? Whatever, you know, let's go have some recreational activities that are a really good time and um and and it was and it was it was fine you know but, but then when i joined the military it's like when you went to basics like they they broke you right that was the that was the intent is that when you went there they would they would strip you of everything that was you and they would get you up at four in the morning and just smoke the living dog crap out of you just didn't matter how cold, how hot. Like you're going to be out there. You're going to be in the rain. You're going to be in the snow. You're going to be in the mud. You're going to be in the sand. You're going to be in the rocks. Like, and you're going to get it. You're going to get after it. And there's no question that by the time that they are dragging you by your helmet through the, through the crap and through the rocks, you know, and through the rubble, uh, you know, there's, there's no question that at the end of the process that you're better off for it. There's no question that going through those hardships makes you better, makes you harder, makes you more resilient. And it doesn't just harden your spirit. If you do it right, which is the reason that they set it up the way they do. You don't go through it as an individual. You enter as an individual, and then they break you. 
and then it is required for you to team up together in order to accomplish victory, in order to make it to the end. And so when you get to the end, it's you have this you have a joint brotherhood with people. You have this camaraderie that didn't exist before because you went through hell and you were there and like he went through it too and she went through it too and y'all went through it together and it was it was something else. You know, and, and you come out the other side and you're you're stronger and you're more confident and you know like I didn't know that I could make it through something like that. And I did. Day after day after day I made it through. And did I and when I left, when I got done out of basic and I went to go to advanced individual training, I wasn't I wasn't resilient. I didn't, I didn't resile. I didn't get back to where I was before. I was better. I was better for it. I hit roadblock after roadblock and obstacle after obstacle. And I improved. It hurt. And then there was recovery. And then there was strengthening and growth that happened after each time. It was incredible. And, and that's the way that it works when it's done right. You know, and that's, that is actually, it's called something else, but it's, but for, well, and well, I'll tell you what that is in a little bit, but I want to, I want to, um, go a little bit further in, into this because it, it doesn't just end there, right? That's, that's kind of standard. Um, and it's, and it's, that is a system devised by man in order to elicit that very outcome, right? And so the question is, well, how do you do that? when it's not a system like when when life throws something at you life doesn't care you know if you recover life isn't life isn't designed for you to grow for you to even resile you know it, it, it's not it's not built that way so i ran into that and it, it had been a good long while um probably 4 years of serving and when I, um, I had one, one fateful day, <laughs> I was in, um, 108th advanced, advanced, uh, our anti air defense artillery. Wow. <laughs> it has been a while. And 108th ADA air defense artillery. And when we were there, it was interesting because our, our company commander was, um, I don't want to get like too much into the military weeds here. So you have people that run airborne operations. Airborne operations are when you're jumping out of an airplane with a static line with about four seconds of free fall from about a thousand feet in the air. Um, and you're getting the, the shoots and everything are designed to get you from like, so you have four seconds free fall shoot opens. And then the shoots are designed to get you from that point to the ground as fast as possible while minimizing injuries. It's something ridiculous. Like in an, in a combat situation, an airborne operation is considered successful. If 60, six, zero percent survival rate from the jump, <laughs> they get to the ground and live. Now that's also incorporating like anti-air gunfire and, and, and things like that, but it's also injuries and people that get stuck in trees and, and not in the right places and, and all of it. Right. That's just, that's just a fun tidbit. <laughs> so, um, so we were, we were jumping and, and the thing is that there are people that run those operations, people that go through very 
highly specialized training in order to run these airborne operations that make sure that they do the inspections of you in your equipment. They run the operations, they organize how the equipment goes on and how the people go on. And, and then they, they give you the commands inside the aircraft. They open the door, they do the inspections on the door to make sure it's all safe. And then they exit you out. And we had a company commander who had gone through this training and it was required that all leaders would go through this type of training. Um, in order to be in an airborne unit, the units that, that are required to jump. So uh, what this commander thought was good was to conserve our budget by only sending the slightly above the number of people required to fill one aircraft. So we had our unit, our battery, and of that, he didn't send everyone to airborne school, just enough people to fill an airplane, Plus a couple extras, you know, because sometimes people get hurt. So, he, this this fine gentleman who I'm sure is still an outstanding officer in our United States Army today is, uh, like I said, he was he was running these operations. And the thing is, when when you are in that position, you you get decorations for completing so many successful operations and fulfilling different functions in conjunction with the operation. So like if you're, if you're fulfilling this duty over here or this duty over there, if you're, if you're a safety, if you're an actual jump master, if you're on the ground, like basically manning the radios, like all of these are roles that are required. And as you, as you stack the roles up, you get rewards. And so, and, and it looks really good on an evaluation, which makes sense because he ended up getting promoted. <laughs> and, uh, he he was he was what we called a wreath chaser because as you progress above your wings that you get when you graduate basic jump school and you are you are officially a paratrooper once you go to jump master school and you complete a certain amount of duties then you get a star and once you complete a bunch more then you get a wreath around the star and so we called him a wreath chaser because he was getting us getting us our small band of jumping brothers on every single jump that you can imagine. Like, typically what you see in a military unit is people are are fighting to get on a jump because when you're jumping, you actually get, like, you actually get a little bit more money. Like, it's like a 100 bucks more a month um, for hazardous duty pay. Um, and what people typically have to do in larger organizations they have to fight to get on jumps because you have to jump every so often you have to jump like quarterly in order to maintain your status in order to maintain your pay and it will actually start counting against you and then it'll stack up the money that you owe them back if you go too far past that and what so people were fighting to jump you know once every three months typically in a typical unit, like the 82nd. I remember I was in the 82nd later and they were fighting for it. It's so funny because you would have thought it had been the opposite. But anyway, I digress. So we were jumping like three, four times a week when the standard was fighting for a jump every three or four months. <laughs> and so, so we were getting it. We were getting after it. And I remember there were a couple of times when we had, we were just jumping so much that I, I got real lackadaisical about it. You know, I'd jump out and I'm like, yeah, whatever, you know, this is... I've done this. I was, I remember I was a private first class in the army for like a year and I had like 27 jumps and it was, it was absurd. Like people were like, what, how many jumps do you have? I'm like, yeah, man, like all we do is jump. And so, uh, one fateful day on 
jump number, I always get it mixed up. I think it was, it was jump number like 47. I ace into the aircraft. Beautiful day. Sunny. I think it was a Saturday, actually, which kind of sucked. But I loved jumping. I loved it. I loved airborne operations. It was it was a significant part of the way that I perceived the military. It was it was how I saw myself as a soldier. I saw myself not as a soldier. Like I yes, I was a soldier. Yes, I was an air defender. I was a Stinger Missile Avenger crew member. Yes. Um but first and this was the type of pride that our unit carried was is I was a paratrooper. You know, like I jumped and all I ever wanted to be was a jump master, was to be there. And and I knew that if I made it there, then basically my career would be set for me and I could I could just ride out and do whatever I want. I like could write my own ticket. I could get into um my intent was to get, be able to eventually get to do a tour with so this there was transitions i I went into intel uh for my job but it didn't matter because i was still airborne i was that's when i went to the 82nd so i left air defense went into the 82nd as an intelligence analyst and i took but i kept with me my airborne status my wings and and that's so when i showed up i was like i want to go to gemma's school they're like cool man do it so i went and i made it i passed and it was it was uh it is a very highly attrited school. It's one of the highest attrited schools in the army, just by the percentages, just because so many people can go and they they eliminate so many from it. <clears throat> there, there there are obviously far more difficult difficult schools like special forces, Q course, and uh, ranger school and all that. But as far as like the actual percentages, I believe that it was like a thirty three percent pass rate at the schoolhouse that I went to in Fort Bragg, and so. The so it was incredible. It was an incredible achievement, and I remember I went out and I pulled my very first duty, and it was and it was great. It was I actually had pulled my first. Let's backtrack. Let's backtrack a little bit. So prior to going to school, I was jumping, and and I jumped, and I, I remember I, I I jumped, and I landed, and I got up, and I was like, you know, it was kind of a hard landing. Nothing nothing too out of the ordinary. But I got up, you know, and went, went back home and got up uh, the next day. And I remember sitting with my son in my lap. I leaned forward and I kissed him on the top of his head. And I felt something in my lower back just, boom. It was, felt like a spring came undone. It was like, it was like, it was a, there was almost like a popping. And then there was this vibration just down there in, the, in my lower back. And I was like, whoa. It didn't even necessarily hurt. It was just like, wow, that's interesting. I've never surely never felt anything like that before <laughs> so it was it was a uh, it was an experience and so it, from that day to 2 weeks later i went from that spring vibrational feeling to not being able to feel my feet and i remember i actually like fell into my buddy's arms at work and he's like hey man we're taking you to the er and i was like all right like i'm, I'm I'm about it now. I was fighting him about it the whole time. I was like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. It'll just, I'll stretch it off and it'll be fine. Um, and so I started going to the docks and, and being the good old army um, socialized healthcare system that it is. It took, that was in September. I wasn't authorized to get an MRI until November. And during this time, 
I decided that I wanted to go to Jumpmaster School. And so, and, and keep in mind, in Jumpmaster School, you have to wear the equipment that you wear when you jump for 40 hours because you're required to get 40 hours of practice time inspecting people. And you're inspecting other people in the class, which means that if I'm inspecting people for 40 hours, other people are inspecting me for 40 hours. And so over this three-week uh, class, or was it three-week or was it one? I don't remember. It doesn't matter. Over a very, very short period of time, I um, I wore the gear for 40 hours, and, and sometimes it's with combat equipment. So it's like big old rucksack on the front and weapons and all that stuff. And, uh, and just just killing my back just at, but it was it was it was my goal it was my dream it was like this was a pinnacle moment for me and I had actually gone through before when I was in air defense right as I was getting ready to make the transition and I and I failed one of the easiest I made it through all of the hardest parts of the course and I failed one of the easiest parts right at the very end so I went back for round two and injured and and bloody agony the whole time and but i made it and i passed i made it through all the difficult parts i made it through the easy part and and i and i gained the acclaimed title of jump master and it was you know it's very celebratory it's it's very highly regarded in airborne units so it was really cool and so i went to i remember so i went to perform my first duty and it was a wednesday and i went to I was I you have to pull a safety kind of for the first duty and so I was I was doing that so it's you don't actually jump on that one then like if you're pre- performing some of the duties you actually jump with the guys at the very end this is a duty where you're the guy who stays on the plate so I go through it I'm I'm the one that's like kind of inspecting I do I check out everyone's equipment and everything and and I'm going through and I'm and I'm you know get them all onto the plane get them seated and they get up I'm going through and I'm checking to make sure that they're all holding their static lines correctly and then I'm also the one at the door. So when they're walking towards the door, they're the one hand they're handing off their static lines, and I'm the one grabbing it and raking them, is what we call it. And so we move them to the back <clears throat> to make sure that there's separation and that the the loose static line doesn't wrap around the next person. And so they're they're filing, and I'm just I'm, I'm raking, I'm raking, I'm raking. And I remember being terribly nervous because we were with um, what they call loadmasters from the Air Force, and um, the loadmasters are working in tandem with the jump masters from the arm, me, and the safety. <clears throat> and they were they were just finishing being certified for their to perform their loadmaster duty. So this is my first duty as a as a safety, as an official real safety on a real live aircraft in a real live airborne operation. And this is their first, this is their final mission of, of being certified. Like if this goes right, then they'll get certified and they'll actually be loadies, payload, load masters. And uh, it was funny because I was really, really, really nervous because if they're, I'm trying to remember the numbers, it, we would try to get as many people out on a single pass as possible as safe as safety requirements allow um, or would afford. And so... That we would, I remember we were jumping in, and, and the question is, are we going to get twenty or twenty-one packs out people out of the aircraft in a time? Because if it's twenty-one, then we can use the basically like a winch, and then we wrap it around the static lines that are all dangling outside of the airplane. Airplane, and we just and we just electronically bring them in. But if it's twenty, you got to do it by hand, and the person who does it by hand 
is the safety. And I was the safety. And in order to do that by hand, you go, you're not tethered and you have some rinky dink crap parachute on. You have to go to the door that's open, put your foot onto the, onto the frame of the door, grab the static lens and rake them and just pull them in. And it is, you're pulling against the, the speed of the aircraft, which is picking up pace after the people have finally exited. <laughs> and so, and, and, and I wouldn't have been nervous, but my back was in so much pain that I was like, all it's got to do is like one tweak the wrong way and I'm going out, man. And I was convinced. I was like, I was, there is there is at least a 50% chance I'm leaving this air, aircraft. Uh, and the, <laughs> and I'm, I'm hopefully that this, this riggedy old thing on my back actually works. Um, thankfully, it was 21 people. And we had to go by the book, and so we had to use the winch. And I was so, so grateful. But I remember that was a Wednesday, and it was a beautiful operation. Everything went really well. Everyone landed, and it was it was beautifully run, beautifully executed, and everyone had a good time. Now, when Friday came around, I got a call from the doc, and he said, "Hey, man, I got your MRI results in. We need to, I need to see you coming on into the office." So I went in, and he's like, "Hey, so." I heard you just, you know, you just pulled your first safety. How did that go? And I was like, oh, it went really good. And, you know, like, I'm really excited. You know, all I need, I had all my jumps and everything lined up to get the next award or decoration. All I need is one more of those where I don't have to jump. And then a nighttime operation as the assistant jump master where I actually do jump. And he looked at me and he was like smiling and on. He's like, yeah, yeah. You're never jumping again. <laughs> I was like, what? No, let doc. So check it out, man. Um, here's the thing. I, um, I need to jump because I need to get my star. And there were many reasons, we won't get into the politics of that, but, uh, there were many reasons I felt like I, I had to get it. And, um, he was con. I mean, he wasn't convinced. He knew. He's like, no, man, like, listen, do you want your star on your chest while, you're sitting in a wheelchair and your kids and your grandkids are coming up to you and saying, man, I wish I could play with grandpa and dad. Or do you want to be mobile? You know, uh, it's your call. And it wasn't really, you know, like I wasn't going to jump. And and it was, it, it was a really big and really tough moment for me because like I said, it was, that was my reality. That was everything that I knew. It was, that was my life. And I didn't know, especially as I had transitioned, like I was really good at my job when I was in air defense and I was really not good at my job as an analyst. It was just, it was really easy to perfect the skills in air defense. Cause it's like, this is your job. You have to do, you have to be able to identify aircraft. You have to be able to, to, dig a hole and camouflage your vehicle really well um you have to be able to to maintain your equipment um and you have to be able to employ your equipment right and like that's pretty much it right and i was really 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 good at all of those things like i understood the equipment really well because it was all it's all very hands-on um all very um tactile all very tangible things that you can like reach out and grab except for the the aircraft recognition because we're dealing with like old soviet things but it's just learning those and, and becoming familiar with what they look like becoming familiar with what they look like while they're flying and so just learning and studying and, and it was and it was very straightforward it's like this is this is what it is cool this is how you this is strategically as you move up 
this is how you employ strategy using the systems. This is how you create overlaying fire and, and it's how you cover gaps. And this is different defense and depth kind of techniques. All stuff that became very natural to me. Um, but going into, into intelligence, it was very weird because it was so fluid. And depending on your role and the mission, it was like what you were doing was so different. So it was like by the time you got to an assignment and you were given your duties and you got really good at them or you were trying to get good at them, you would leave and go somewhere else and your job could be completely different than it was before. So you're like starting over from scratch. And I was already a transitionary soldier. I was a reclass. So I was trying to pick up the scraps from from like starting as a leader, starting as a junior, like a sergeant, starting off in that role, not having the background of, of developing as a soldier through the ranks like I did in air defense. And so that being on top of losing my airborne status and losing that jumpmaster status, I, I was I was lost in the sauce, man. I was I was just a leaf blowing around in the wind, not knowing what to do. And that was when I I mean I, I, I kind of went into a free fall you know, physically, like I got into the worst shape of my life where I was at the point where I was going to be taped. I was getting taped and I got to the, like, I was, my weight exceeded the amount allotted for like my height and my age. And, and, and then when they do that, they have to measure you. And so then my, my waist, my gut was getting nice and big. And so that was, that was, um, that was really awful for me physically. And I was also, um, I was also struggling in, in, in you know, my relationship with my wife and that, and that was, that was starting to really hit some rocky points, you know, very, very poor decision-making on my part and just, you know, not, not choosing what was right for us, but then, but then finding, finding hope in something different, right? Uh, the job that I ended up going to, I ended up doing really well at. Um, and, and in the process of doing that, I learned new skills in a new way. And, and, and while learning that, I actually started being introduced to, to people and ideas that I hadn't really been um, open to before when it came to, and, and it's completely separate from the military, and ideas of of um, self ownership and entrepreneurship and and you know like like I said self ownership like owning yourself and and being kind of the master of your destiny and not not letting the world decide for you because if you're not deciding your own path then somebody else will and so you better choose it and you better pursue it like it's nobody's business. And so that 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 message really started to strike home to me, and it was actually from a from a podcaster whose name is Jason Stapleton, and he was the, he was the one you can check out. He's got, his podcast is still running. It's um, changed the name. It's Wealth, Power, and Influence now. It's a great great podcast. If you're interested in entrepreneurship and and these types of things, this is very much up your alley, and I highly recommend it. Um, but anyway, so so I, I started this mental transformation. Right, like I, I knew there wasn't getting back to where I was. There was no getting back to my old job where I was really good at it. There was no getting back to being um, airborne. There's no getting back to being a jump master. Like my idea of reality, like that tennis ball, didn't was not 
available for me to get back to. No matter how resilient I could be, like my life had changed. So I, I had to, tra- I was physically transformed in my capabilities. So I had to mentally transform to, to pursue my best life possible. And, and it ended up it, like turning my vision of what was possible expanded a million fold into stuff that I didn't even think that I could think about. I could never, I never even considered like really opening my own business really. Uh, and, and in any way that, that, and, and pursuing any actions or knowing anybody who actually did it, I went from, from not ever even thinking about owning my own business and not understanding how I would do it and not knowing anybody who's ever done it to launching a podcast where I did like 25 interviews with business owners, entrepreneurs, and artists all about their trade craft and their blueprints and like what they did and what they didn't do and how they failed and how they overcame it. Kind of bringing in this idea of resilience and entrepreneurship together in one. And that's where my journey started in my own entrepreneurial ventures and endeavors. And so it's it's this that I wanted to to pull out. It's it's resilience is a piece. I you need to be resilient. You need to be able to get back up. That's that's there's grit, right? You gotta have the you got to have the determination to to continue fighting when things are hard, right? And and having resilience, having grit is is so crucial for you to be able to overcome these things, but it's not enough. It is one piece of the puzzle. You have to have you have to have what Malcolm Gladwell calls anti-fragility. You have to be able if you get punched in the face and you fall flat into the ground right into the mud and you're just covered you need to be able to take this mud pack it together throw it in a kiln heat this thing up and build bricks right and you build these bricks and you build steps and then you're operating you're you're crossing a bridge you build a bridge you build a staircase up to a level that didn't even exist before it always was there, but you weren't aware of it prior to getting punched in the face. And in the process of recovering in your battle of resilience to get back, you found the tools, you found what was necessary to get yourself not back to where you were, but even better, to moving beyond that. And that's what that's what I did. And all honestly, for me, it all it all started with a podcast. It all started opening my mind up to the possibilities of training and and, and self learning and watching videos and figuring out how how do cameras work and and how do mics work and how how do you even distribute a podcast if you wanted to do that? And what would I even talk about? And it's like like all of these things I pieced together, uh, you know, over time and over year months, weeks and months and years of work. And, and, it, and it's continuing to develop. And that's the beautiful thing is that this isn't, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a destination. It's not like I resiled and I'm here. It's not like I anti-fragile, anti-fragiled and now I'm here. I, because of the way that I view things now, it's, I see it as a, a, a path that I'm on until death, right? Like I will rest, I will stop this onslaught towards my dreams and knocking out my targets when I'm dead because there's 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 no retirement you know there's there's not and the thing is it all goes back to purpose it all goes back to why you know when you when you are pursuing your why when you know your purpose 
it changes everything. It's no longer... It's no longer... I was going to say it's no longer work, but it's absolutely work. You have to put work in. You have to know that even when it's your dream, even when it's your passion, there are there are days when you are just... You're, you're on the struggle bus, son. <laughs> it, is, it is not always easy. It is, it is very hard, but... That, when, when it's in pursuit of that why, when it's in pursuit of that purpose, that gives you that energy from which you can, you can pull from to pull yourself out of the muck. I don't know. I don't know how people do it. You know, people do it for different reasons when they're not pursuing their why. They do it for their families. They do it for their, for their loved ones. You know, they do it for survival. All of that sound is so, it's just, if the family's good, it's good. If that's your purpose, if that's why you're doing stuff, that's great. But why not, why not align your caretaking of your family with, with your higher purpose, right? Like your, your goal in life, like what moves you isn't taking care of your family. Like, like that's, that's, that's a thing. That is a thing that you do for sure. Absolutely. And it's, and it's a big, very important aspect of your reality. If that's, if that's the case, yes. But do, how do you do that? Do you do that by selling off your soul and, and by, by, you know, wage slavery by, by time slave, by give selling your time to someone else or you, or you've defined who you are. And you are finding a way to to give value and provide value back into the world, being who you are, honing skills and things that are fun for you. If you love carpentry and you love cutting wood and, and building things with your hands, like do that. You know, and I'm not saying you got to give up your job. I'm not saying to stop anything, but I'm saying to pursue the things that you're passionate about. And the beautiful thing in this day and age is that we have the technology even now. Even while we're in the face of a of a global pandemic, we still have the ability to to share our our skills and our lessons and our and, and our life with people in a way that they find valuable. So if you if you've been doing that, if you've developed your skills, and you can share that with other people, it's a beautiful thing, man. I I just heard some ridiculous stats like like there's something like seventy five hundred hours of video uploaded to YouTube every minute. Like, I don't even understand how that maths, right? Like, it doesn't seem like time can work that way, but it's working that way. It's working that way, and people are doing it. There's so much there. There's so much value there, and there's so much that you can provide. There's so much in you that you can provide, and you can use that to help support your own growth and to support your family if that's what you desire, if that's what you desire. But that's... That's really, that's really the, the reason why I'm here. And it's, and it's the, the reason that I, I want to keep coming back to the show is because I want to get people closer to that feeling. I want to get people closer to, to the understanding and the reality that they can, they can achieve great success while pursuing their passions. It doesn't have to be one or the other, but, but really like, I just, even if your passion doesn't bring you sustenance you know like it's it's important for your emotional well-being your emotional wealth to to promote that it it promotes your emotional wealth when you pursue your passions when you pursue your why you know and then 
all of the people closest to you benefit from that. And so that's what I'm encouraging people to do because you want to improve the life of the people that you love, improve your improve your mental clarity, improve your purpose, work on your purpose. And I've got to say that every day that I come in here, I feel like I'm doing that. And and it, and it brings me so much passion and, and it lights me up. And I, I just, I love this so much. I love being here with you guys. It's absolutely great. And I hope that you guys are getting value out of this. And, and if you do, I, I have a, I have a request and I, I know that it's, it's, it might be asking a lot, but, but I feel like I do need to ask it. It's just, if, if you are finding value from this, please, 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 please like and, and subscribe. And so that way you can join me every week that we come back and do this. And, and if you, if you can, and if you, and if you do that, then if you know some people that you think would gain value from this, you know, I, I love the expression, um, I, I know some people that, that, that have talked about this and I think that it, I think that it makes a lot of sense. If you know two people, like I don't want you to mass blast this out. Like you don't need to share it on your social media um, and, and like, look what I'm listening to. If you want to, by all means, that's great. But I think that it actually has more power if you actually know, if you're thinking about the people in your life and you're like, you know, you know who needs to hear this? I think, I think, I think Susie. I think, I think, you know, my Aunt Susie needs to hear this. And yeah, I, I have a real Aunt Susie. <laughs> But for instance, you know, I think Aunt Susie would really, I think she would really enjoy this. I think she'd, she'd think she'd like it a lot. You know, I think, I think, I think my cousin, uh, I think, I think he'd really like it too. And you know what? Like, I don't know, man. I don't think that, I don't think Jimmy's ready to hear this thing, but, but I think that, I, th- I think it would do him well. I don't think, I don't think he wants to hear this, but I think that it would do him well. You know, if you find two people that you think would like it and one person that you think it would serve, please share it with them. I, I, the, the way that, we grow here is by word of mouth and that's and that's 100% the method if when you guys recommend the show when you guys talk about the show that's how we get growth and the thing is my goal my intent my purpose like i said i light up when i get people close to their goals and when they start to light up when they get close to their passions and their why and so I, my intent is to be able to reach and impact 10,000 people this year. I want to hit 10, and I don't care about subscribers and likes, like as far as 10,000 in numbers. I want to, I want to impact 10,000 lives. I want to know that I've touched 10,000 people this year. And the only way that I can do that is with your help because you're the ones that are here. You're here. You're deriving value. You know that, that when you leave this, you're walking away better off than when you started. And that's why you come back. And so I'm asking you to to bring other people into the fold. Bring other people and let other people share in what we're creating here. And then if you really find it valuable, you can go to iTunes and you can give it. We're, we're there. We're on all the podcasts too. If you're watching this on video, we're there. And if you're, and if you're on the audio side, we're on YouTube. We're on the, uh, we're on the videos as well. Um, but if, you know, if you feel that I've earned it, then give us, you know, rock us out at five stars and, and leave us a review. That's 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 huge for getting people familiar with the show that are that are not familiar with it yet. And so I appreciate you guys. I know that it's a huge ask. I know that you're already investing a bunch of time here with me. And so so, you know, why why be asked to do more than what you already do? And it's and it's it's to help me 
to hit that goal of 10,000 people because I want to change 10,000 lives. And the thing is, if if you're the ones who are sharing the show and bringing people here, then really, it's not me changing their lives. It's it's us together. It's us working together to make this change in people's lives, to get people closer to their why. And the more people we get operating and living closer to their why, the, the better the lives of all of the people around them are going to be. So how say you? You down for the challenge? I hope so. Because if you are, I'll be back here again next week, and I look forward to seeing you guys then. Thank you so much.